Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 413. Another week, another cruise review. This week, I'm back from Royal Caribbean's Freedom of the Seas, the first Royal Caribbean cruise ship to sail from the U.S., and I've got my thoughts on it up next. Freedom of the Seas is sailing again, and more importantly, it is the first Royal Caribbean cruise ship to sail from the U.S., and my goal was to be on the first Royal Caribbean cruise ship to sail from the U.S., and I achieved that this week, having gone on a quick three-night weekend cruise over to the July 4th weekend on Freedom of the Seas, and this is far from my first time on Freedom, but I also got it, this is my first time actually going on her after her refurbishment. We'll talk about that a little bit later, because of course, the significance is cruising is back from the U.S. That is something we've been waiting to hear for months and months and months, 15 of them, in fact, and and now we finally have that opportunity and more ships are going to be restarting from the U.S. over the summer, and it's um, an important very first step. Now, if you listen to last week's episode, or the last two weeks' episodes, I should say, all about my cruise on Adventure of the Seas, that was one experience, but this experience on Freedom of the Seas is markedly different because there are different protocols for this sailing compared to what they were on free, on Adventure of the Seas out of the Bahamas. And the most noticeable difference, I think, is by far the mask requirement, meaning that if you're inside the ship, vaccinated or not, you'd have to wear a mask. And in addition to that, these vaccinated zones, areas that are designated only for vaccinated guests. So it's obviously a big change compared to what I experienced on Adventure of the Seas, where I did not have to wear a mask on board. And because I'm fully vaccinated, unvaccinated would have to wear a mask still while indoors. So, you know, that was kind of a, a different change. And if this were your first cruise in 15 months, it might not feel as regressive, I guess, as it did to me, having, you know, gone on an adventure, been able to wander the ship without any masks on, and then here on Freedom, having to adhere to that protocol. Now, number one, obviously, I knew the protocols ahead of time because Royal Caribbean announced it, although, albeit not that <laughs> not that far from when the sailing was to begin, but nonetheless, you know, these are the rules of the land. I understood them. I was okay. I just wanted to get back on a cruise. And so, we decided to go on this. Originally, it was me and my wife on the sailing, but I ended up going solo on this particular cruise. So, uh, you're welcome, honey. We got some extra Crowd and Anchor Society points as a result by me going solo. That's that, Anyway, that's the way I'm spinning it. So this is a three-night cruise out of Port Miami. I drove down there. I uh, live in Orlando, so it's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive. I unfortunately, had some traffic, so that went to like four-and-a-half hours. But I made it, and I actually stayed in uh, Fort Lauderdale. I like to break up the drive to Miami whenever possible or South Florida in general. And let's face it, the morning of the cruise, I'm going to have all this energy. I ain't sleeping in. So I, I don't mind having like an hour of driving that morning because it helps break up the drive on day one before the cruise, I should say. And then the morning of, it gives me something to do. So I stayed in Fort Lauderdale and I actually checked out a new hotel, uh, new to me and I think a pretty new hotel as well, down in uh, downtown Fort Lauderdale, the uh, Hyatt-centric uh, Los Olas Boulevard uh, Hotel, which is right on Los Olas Boulevard, which is a great place to go visit if you're going on a cruise out of Fort Lauderdale or Miami. And you're looking for something to do the night before. Uh, it's basically Los Olas Boulevard is a street that has shopping and dining and art and a lot to do. And it's very walkable kind of place. Great spot to hang out in. And uh, I enjoyed my time there as well. But uh, I got to the to the terminal. I actually had a 2 o'clock check-in time. And the check-in time, guys, is real. Uh, they will not let you in earlier. I kind of try to finagle that a little bit. Get in there. I got there at 
uh, you know, closer to one o'clock and they were like, uh, no. And I was like, all right, I'll just sit in my car then and wait until a little closer to that, to the time. But, uh, they're very particular about that. So it really lesson number one, make sure you do your online check and not only early, but I would recommend doing it as early as you possibly can keep checking back when online check and will appear right now. There is no definitive timeline when it will appear, you know, since COVID the opportunity to check in for your cruise, whether it was adventure or freedom has kind of fluctuated quite a bit and, and regress a little bit closer to your actual sale date. Now, I think going forward as things kind of progress and cruising does truly and really return in, on a wide scale, we may see that go back up to more predictable timeline, but in the meantime, not now, another big change is with sailing on freedom because we're sailing out of Florida, which by the way, hang on a second. I need to stop here and say, remind everybody couple things. Number one, all the protocols I'm talking about apply here to Freedom of the Seas from Miami in the month of July. These could be vastly different for another ship sailing somewhere else in the U.S. or even vastly different on Freedom in the coming months uh, of this year. So basically everything I'm telling you about my experience, you should take as a time capsule and understand that these protocols can very well change going forward. Okay. So with all that being said, uh, because we're sailing out of Florida and there's a law that prohibits any company from requiring or asking its its customers to show proof of COVID-19 vaccination, Royal Caribbean leaves it up to the guests to volunteer that information. Basically, what happens is before your cruise, you'll get an email link. And if you want to volunteer that you're vaccinated, you can do so. If you did that, then when you get at the cruise terminal, they will then say, okay, I see here you volunteered to show us that you're vaccinated. Can we see your CDC card? Yes, you need the original CDC card, not a photocopy. And you show it to them. And then at that point, you're given a purple bracelet to indicate, and you got to wear this around the ship, that you are fully vaccinated. In addition, uh, if you're unvaccinated or you simply don't wish to provide your proof of vaccination, you'll be considered or assumed to be unvaccinated, and they'll put a hole in your CPAS card. That way you can't, like, you know, seal a purple bracelet as an example and use that. So that's that's the basic idea behind that. Otherwise, the check-in process is pretty much the same as usual. And then Freedom has been amplified. She was the last Royal Caribbean cruise ship to get amplified. That occurred at the uh, very um, uh, beginning of 2020. She had one sailing, like revenue sailing, and then, and then everything shut down. So what's really remarkable about this upgrade is all the things they've added. The entire pool deck has been redone. You've got a completely new concept for Giovanni's table. You've got Playmakers added. You've got Izumi Hibachi added. Yes, they got rid of Sabor, but let me tell you something. If, I, if I'm going to lose Sabor, but I'm going to gain Izumi and Izumi Hibachi, it's really not a bad trade to make. I, I can live with that one. Uh, you've got uh, Water Slides. Uh, it's. I, I'm going to venture to say it's my favorite amplification, and that's a really tough call because that's really it's really a, a choice between Freedom and Oasis. And I do like Oasis's upgrades quite a bit when she got her upgrades in late 2019. But and it's an Oasis class ship. Don't get me wrong, but I I kind of think Freedom might be now like my number two favorite cruise ship to go on. I always my favorite is Harmony, and then there's then there was Navigator of the Seas. And now I'm thinking Freedom is number two ahead of Navigator. I like her upgrades better. Navigator has hooked. Um, Freedom has Hibachi, has Izumi. That's much better. The Playmakers is way better on Freedom. I do prefer still Navigator's water slides, but I, I don't know that that's enough to, you know, compel me to keep it at the top right there. And, 
Yeah, and I like the shows a little bit better on, on Freedom. So I'm giving an edge. I might change my mind, but right now I think I think Freedom has slid into that critical, highly uh, wanted, desired number two Matt's favorite cruise ship spot. And uh, we'll have to see when I get whenever I get back on Harmony, reevaluate things. So maybe. But anyway, uh, it's a great ship. I love the changes they made on Freedom. Uh, it really, uh, everything is is beautiful on there. And um, we were saying it on this particular cruise, I stayed in a junior suite again. I thought my wife was coming with me. She was not. What was interesting was this is one of the new junior suites on deck 11. So if you're facing the Windjamer, it's actually on your left. It was we, At first, when I got on the ship, my CPAS card said deck 11. Okay, I go to deck 11 or my check-in, whatever. And I'm like, deck 11. And I get to 11. I'm like, wait a minute. There's no staterooms on deck 11. This is a mistake. Maybe it's on 10. And then I look at it again. No, it says deck 11. And lo and behold, there are a set of rooms that are on the forward end of the ship to the left of the Windjamer. And uh, I found it there. And it's a brand. When you say in any brand new room, a room that's been added that didn't exist before. I, I experienced this on Mariner this season right before the shutdown as well. It's really neat because this is like they don't usually during amplification, Royal Caribbean will take existing rooms and, you know, maybe upgrade some of the soft goods in there, but they're not like, you know, ripping it apart and doing kind of like an HGTV makeover. They just kind of, you know, make sure things are working and, and whatnot. But when there's a new room, you can totally tell the difference. And I absolutely loved this room. Number one, it's a junior suite, lots of extra space. Number two, the amount of closet space. Holy moly. There was the, the with just like any junior suite, there was a walk-in closet, but then there was another closet for like hanging stuff and like three or four, uh, cupboards and 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 just floor to ceiling shelving there was a ton a ton of storage space which if my wife was on there she would have enjoyed because she not only likes to unpack during the cruise but she likes to have you know take advantage of all the space available so and, and on some other ships it's hard to find that especially on older ships not the freedom's that old but you know what i mean relatively speaking so it was really nice having all of that and the balcony was really cool i really like the the structure of it it was wide so it was a fantastic junior suite. I would recommend these rooms on deck 11. Anytime you have an opportunity, if you're just choosing between, you know, rooms and you see an, uh, if you can figure out which rooms are new or not, you might be asking me, okay, Matt, how the heck do I know that? Well, you'd have to look at, you know, like a blog post on realcoreanblog.com or somewhere, some resource that lists which rooms are new. It's not always super easy to figure out um, off the bat. Certainly not. Like if you look at a deck plan, they don't list them. They'll say, this is a new room. This is an older room. They don't do that. So it's kind of up to you to do a little bit of, Footwork, maybe a good travel agent can help you out. Actually, to be perfectly clear with you guys, I am pretty sure my travel agent picked this room for me. I was just said I wanted junior suite, and she got this one. I was like, okay. So, pat on her back, not so much my back, for finding this particular room. Uh, for this sailing, um, full disclosure, I paid my way for the cruise. I booked this cruise on my own. So, I paid the cruise fare, paid the gratuities, paid all that other stuff. This ended up becoming a pseudo-Royal Caribbean media cruise. What I mean is... Uh, a couple weeks before the cruise, Royal Caribbean reached out and said, hey, we're doing a media cruise on this, which basically means they'll have a media team on there to support what's going on. Uh, since I'm already booked, I'm already booked, so they're not giving me a free room as an example. Uh, but there were some comps that I got uh, on board. Namely, the drink package was provided to me, complimentary. I got a one specialty restaurant meal, complimentary, and a couple things that were just kind of like tossed my way. So uh, I paid most of my way on this, but I just want to make this very clear that uh, not 100% of everything I experienced was paid by me. So, again, in the interest of full disclosure. So, uh, let's talk about dining because you guys know it's all about the food on Royal Caribbean. And I dined at, well, three restaurants on board. First, I had to check out 
Giovanni's Table. So Giovanni's Table is not a new restaurant in Royal Caribbean. No doubt if you've been on a couple ships or even one, you've probably dined at one of them. But Royal Caribbean on Freedom of the Seas has updated the concept. And now it is an all-new uh, concept, really, where a completely new menu, uh, the 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 ambiance is a little bit different. It's kind of a, it's not as, I don't know that Giov- the old Giovanni's was that formal, but a little less formal than that. And it, there's a ton of menu choices on there, classic Italian choices. Pizza is on the menu. And I got to tell you, from start to finish, it is a really, really strong offering. Number one, let me, let me throw this out there. It's now my favorite Italian restaurant on any Royal Caribbean ship, whether it's Jamie's Italian, whether it's old Giovanni's. This is way better. The pizzas alone, the seven cheese pizza, which I can't even name what the seven cheeses are, or I can't even name seven cheeses in general, is amazing. It's so good. You've got some epic appetizers on there as well. Uh, I I really like the, I mean, chicken parm. Listen, anytime you can get chicken parmesan, sign me up for that. That was fantastic. They have a really good lasagna. I mean, there's really no holes in this menu. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. The garlic knots, oh my God, I'm going to have a dream about those garlic knots for a while. It was excellent, 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 excellent. So I would highly recommend checking those out. Uh, I, I think Giovanni's Table, and this concept was scheduled to go on alert this season. Obviously, that didn't happen because they're alerting to get a refurbishment, but I strongly suspect we will see these uh, uh, this Giovanni's Table makeover reach other ships because it is really, really good. I also ate at Izumi Hibachi, and by the way, just to show you how much how good it was, the first time I ate at Giovanni's, Royal Caribbean provided that meal for me. The second time on the last night of the cruise, I elected to go there on my own and pay for that meal because that was worth paying extra for. Even though I had just eaten there, I wanted to eat there again. In the name of research, of course. I also ate at Izumi Hibachi, which if you guys have heard other podcast episodes I've done, I absolutely love it. It's such a crowd pleaser. It's so good. I love it. We had a great crowd there, and the food is phenomenal. I, I, I For families, for anybody. It's a great choice, and I love Hizumi. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed that quite a bit. And what was new to me is Playmakers. I have not been the world's biggest Playmakers fan. Playmakers is a sports bar that was added on a couple different ships. Uh, uh, Navigator of the Seas has one. Oasis of the Seas has one. Symphony has one. And my issue with with it has been a couple fold. Number one, I didn't hate the menu. I didn't love the menu. Number two, and more importantly, I would say, the service has always been kind of hit or miss, mostly miss in my experience. It's just slow, really, what I'm talking about for some strange reason. Um, you know, but the the space itself on Freedom is absolutely stunning. It is massive. So uh, Playmakers on Freedom of the Seas is not on the promenade. It's on deck four next to the casino. It's right between the casino and Boleros, which is where the photo area used to be. I actually didn't realize that. And someone pointed out to me that's what used to be there. But it is a giant, giant space. I honestly, it is the size of some sports bars back on land. I mean, it's truly that large. There's a ton of TVs. Uh, they they've tweaked the menu a little bit. I'm a big fan now. I I am all about playmakers now on Freedom of the Seas. It's a great hangout spot. I really enjoyed it. So I'm gonna throw that out there. Now let's talk about the other. The, of course, the big thing, of course, are the protocols on board Freedom of the Seas. And that is, of course, you know, the vaccine and, and the vaccine zones. So let me be clear. Wearing a mask is not something I prefer. I don't think anyone's like, oh, yeah, we get to wear a mask on a cruise ship, especially when on land. I'm not sure where you all live, but where I live, you know, a lot of the mask mandates are pretty much all but gone at this point. Right. Especially for vaccinated folks like myself. And 
the you know so having to wear a mask on board a cruise ship is definitely more of an issue than I think it would have been if this were three months ago, right? But nonetheless, I wanted to go on a cruise. I think most people did. And in my observations that are not scientific, just me using my peepers to look around, people were wearing their masks as required. Now, being vaccinated, basically, you're just wearing your mask when you're going from point A to point B on the ship inside. If you're outside, you don't have to wear a mask. You're Coco Key, you don't have to wear a mask. But when you're walking from your room to a restaurant or from your room to a bar or your room to the pool or wherever, you're wearing your mask in between at that point, right? And then when you get to somewhere, if you're going to a bar, lounge, or restaurant, you're eating or drinking, you can take your mask off. There are also designated vaccinated zones. So these are areas of the ship that only vaccinated people are allowed to go in ever, right? The casino, schooner bar, the pub, Izumi Hibachi. There's a number of them, and this is just scratching the surface of them. And as a vaccinated person, number one, I obviously didn't mind this rule. Number two, it made it so that it minimized the amount of time I actually had to wear a mask. I literally only had to wear a mask when I was going from point A to point B. Um, you know, as I sat there during the cruise, though, I was thinking if I was not vaccinated, you know, what would I do? Because, like, some of the most popular places inside the ship are designated vaccine only. Uh, there's usually a crew member right at the entrance who's going to ask you to see your purple band or whatever proof you have of being vaccinated. And if you're unvaccinated, you can't go to the casino, you can't go to the schooner bar, can't go to the pub. Like that's one, two, and three of my entertainment in the evening. Now you go to the pool deck, that's available to you, right? Except for the solarium, which I think is vaccinated only if memory serves me correctly. And you know, I love the pool as much as anybody, but I can't spend all day there. Certainly not at night. So it, you know, it, it really is an interesting conundrum. And I'm sure there's some folks here who who are listening who are unvaccinated who may be thinking the exact same thing. Now that could all change, of course. As I mentioned, these are the protocols for July on Freedom out of Miami. It could all change by the time we get to August or September. Who knows when, right? But um, it it, it would really be. Uh, uh, you know, it, it would give you pause about booking it. Now, the other issue, of course, is I didn't bring my kids with me. My kids are unvaccinated. And if you've got, if my kids are with me at the time, then I'm considered unvaccinated because as a group, that's how that works, right? And, you know, that would be an issue. Now, my, I don't usually take my kids to bars or lounges or the casino. So that's not really a problem. I'm trying to think of an example. What would be a situation in which my kids were with me that I would not be able to go, you know, uh, there was the silent disco that required that, but obviously my kids would be in adventure ocean at that point. Um, you know, there, there may be a place or two where that might be more of an issue, but number one, we're on a very poor instance of itinerary. This is, you know, three night cruise. You're in Nassau on day two, Koki on day three. So the amount of time you're on board is, well, it depends on how much time you spend in Nassau, I suppose, but you've got things going on on shore that are a little bit different, but I would, wouldn't mind, you know, testing this out with my kids to see what it's like, but it's definitely a little, it's, it's, it's some thought to consider. Now here's the, if you're sitting there and you're like, well, Matt, I don't like these rules. These are, these are, these are bugging me. I'll tell you this. Number one, I don't think the rules as I'm describing to you today are going to be here for long. I don't know when that'll be, whether that's August, September or October. I, I don't know, but I really think that these protocols are changing so quickly that somebody going on Freedom of the Seas in a couple of weeks from now may have a very different experience there. So obviously, if that does change, I'll have that at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. But I wanted to share in this episode my thoughts from you know my sailing, so I could, you know as it were what I experienced, not you know pontificate or speculate as to what may or may not happen going forward. That's a 
different conversation. But I, I got to say, this is the bottom line. Going on a cruise that I can drive to. Because last time we had to fly to Nassau, you, to, you know, you know how, anytime you go to the airport, you, I'm sure you all know what it's like, right? You got to wake up at some whatever. You got to get up, you got to get everybody ready, packed, put in the car, drive to the airport, park the car, take yourself on the shuttle over to the airport, check it, wait in a line, check in, wait another line security, right? It's just, even if everything goes like totally smooth, it's still a process. But driving to your cruise is really nice. Even if you're flying, domestic flights are always easier than international. So there was a lot less rigmarole with just getting everything going and getting everything situated. And that being able to go on a cruise in which I can simply hop in and put all my stuff in the car and not worry about how many bags I got, just put it in the car, drive to the port, get there and, and go. It was really, really nice to be able to do that. And I love that fact. And even with the restrictions, even though I have to wearing a mask, you know what? Listen, after about a day, I kind of got used to it. It didn't even phase me anymore. And really, for me, it was I'm on a cruise. After 15 months of dreaming of this moment, I'm back on board, right? And having cruises out of the U.S., it wasn't too long ago. That seemed like a pipe dream. So now we finally have that. And that reason alone, I'm I'm willing to I – would, I would go on this cruise again immediately. And I would bring my kids with me. Absolutely. Uh, if, if I had the opportunity, they're kind of all sold out now at this point for the summer. So I'm not sure I'll have that opportunity, but I would love to try this again and, and bring the kids because at the end of the day, I just want, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to have some, I, what I believe to be temporary changes, but it, the core cruise experience, the thing that we all love is still there. And that's the most important thing to me when looking back on my cruise experience on freedom of the seas. Well, let's answer some more listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer emails that have been sent in to me. You can send me your emails by sending them to Matt at RoyalCoreanBlog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T at RoyalCoreanBlog.com. Our first email this week is from Stephen Ducar. Hey, Matt, start listening to your episode uh, during the COVID lockdown and enjoy your content and insight. My wife and I are taking our first Royal Green cruise on Adventure of the Seas out of Nassau on July 24th. This is our only sure thing cruise as COVID torpedoed our Carnival Fascination 2020 and 2021 cruises and our scheduled MSC Maravilla July 24th, 2021 cruise out of Miami. To say the least, we're a little gun shy until we have a deck under our feet. We've been cruising since 1997. Sorry for the backstory, but I wanted to set the stage for my two questions. We have a book. We have a cruise booked on Explorer of the Seas for July 2022 out of Miami and doing an eight night Southern Caribbean to the ABC Islands. I've read a Royal Green blog about the full dry dock that's been put on hold for Explorer, but it was to get a technical one. Any update on dry dock at this time? Uh, Stephen, thanks for the email. Uh, no, there's no updates that I have about the, nothing's officially been announced about anything like that. I think the plan is for them to still do some sort of dry dock eventually, but when eventually? It's a good question. I don't know. And Stephen's other question is, uh, of the ABC Islands, which one was your favorite for you and your wife? Ooh. You know, traditionally, the answer was Curacao. Um, I, I like the idea that Curacao is a really nice downtown, so you can do a little bit of shopping and then go to the beach. It's it's got it's got the best of both worlds in that regard. You know, we had a really nice time the last time at Bonaire. We took a ATV out and explored the island. That was a lot of fun. I might recommend that actually. There's you can rent golf carts and ATVs and a variety of other personal transportation. They drive on the right side of the road there, so no problem at all. Uh, that was a lot of fun because there's a lot of like little things you can see, and I wouldn't want to spend the entire day at any one of those little things, but. There's a lot to see. So uh, that's right. And Aruba, they have the best beaches. I think Aruba definitely has the best beaches. Um, so yeah, that's my favorite. 
Well, the ATV was a lot of... I mean, I would pick the ATV. My wife would probably pick... I don't know what she'd pick. Curacao, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess Curacao, I think so. <laughs> there you go, Steven. Thanks for the email there. Our next email is coming to us from Bryce, who writes, Hey, Matt, I'm going on a roller coming cruise on Explorer this season in August. Well, there's a lot of people going on Explorer. It's going out of Galveston, Texas, and we'll be stopping Cozumel and the Yucatan. I'm just wondering what your experience has been like on Explorer. Are there any other information on this cruise that will be happening or not? Thanks for all you do. Well, uh, I don't think Explorer, This I know this email was sent, it was not that long ago, I'm not that like, this isn't like a six month old email, ladies and gentlemen, this is from, you know, about a month ago. Anyway, Independence of the Seas is sailing out of Galveston, we know that is the only definite, so I'm not sure, uh, Bryce, if you've already changed out your ship, your ships for something else, but I'm going to answer your question regardless. Explorer of the Seas is a Voyager class, I love the Voyager class, it didn't get upgrades, it didn't get its amplification like it was supposed to because of COVID, but it's still, I love the Voyager class, I think it's a classic one, so, um... From that standpoint, I'm a big fan, but uh, you may, this, again, <laughs> your your question may be moot at this point, so I'm going to assume that and I'm going to move on. But feel free to send another email if I'm totally rolling over your question. And our next email is from Mark, who writes, I cannot recall from all your podcasts a lot. By the way, Mark's, I, his subject of his email is hot studio talk. So I had to read this one. Uh, hi, Matt. Cannot recall from all your podcasts a lot of talk about studio cabins. I'd like to share my experience from the last few weeks. I'm a solo cruiser and booked an 11-night cruise for January on Anthem of the Seas out of Bayonne. As we all know, you still have to pay double occupancy, but their current BOGO 60 deal meant that I'm going to be paying 140% for my solo room. After it's booked, I come to find that most Royal Caribbean ships have solo cabins that they do not show up when booking on their site. I called them, and there were two left, and they applied the BOGO 60, and I got the studio for $400 less than the inside room. It's even got a virtual window. Not to mention, double crown and anchor point promo currently on. Anyway not offered to mention when booking on their site, so I figured I'd share that secret. Mark, thanks for the email. Mark is right. There are on about a dozen or so ships, a couple, some ships only have like two. Some have like on Anthem, I think it's about a dozen or 14 of uh, these studio rooms. These are rooms designed for solo travelers. Now to Mark's point, here's something else I'm going to add to you. Work with a travel agent because a travel agent can would know about these kinds of things. And there are certain categories that don't show up on the website to Mark's point. So yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, strategy. You know, the problem with studio cabins is, number one, they're very few and far between, so they go very quickly. I would not be surprised at all when someone tells me or if you were to tell me that, hey, I went to go look for a studio room on a cruise next year, and they're all sold out. They go extremely quickly. So that's number one. Number two, even if you are sailing solo, and Mark already did this backwards, but he did it anyway, and that is to compare the price of someone of sailing solo in a solo cabin versus a regular room. In a lot of cases, if you book a, a regular room, you may find actually the price to be uh, a better. Sometimes those studio cabin prices are a little wonky, but I'm glad to hear, Mark, that you got a great price on yours. That is awesome. And uh, we have time for another email or two, and that is from Hope. That's our next email. It's from Hope Birding from Greenville, South Carolina. We booked, we're booked on Allure of the Season September. We have a group of seven in three staterooms. I have all the reservations linked. When I made our My Time reservations, shows all seven in the history in my account, but if I log into another reservation, it only shows two or three guests in those rooms. Would it be easiest to go to the main dining room on embarkation day, confirm with the staff, or is there something I'm missing? Hope, good question. So I would say this, number one, before your cruise, double check with your travel agent that yes, the reservations are all interlinked. So every room is linked to every room, right? You got three rooms, so you should have on every reservation, the two other rooms on the linked reservation. That's number one. Number two, I would recommend doing exactly what you said, Hope, on, if you're ever worried about your dining arrangement, whether it's people sitting together at the same table, having a table for two, some request you've made or something you'd like to see, in the afternoon 
of the first day, so usually like after one o'clock, I would recommend, there's usually a head waiter on board, uh, available rather, uh, on the main dining room. Go down there, ask to speak to him or her, and you know, just double check. There's nothing wrong with double checking. It's much better to double check then than to assume and then show up to the dining room at your time and then oopsies, you know, they got to rearrange. Not to say they couldn't do anything at that point, but it's a lot easier if they have a little more lead time. So hope you're on the right track there. That's uh, I think that's definitely what I would recommend. And our last email is coming to us from Ashley Mannion, who writes, Hi, Matt. Hope you're doing well. I have another question for you now that they've opened up sailings and allowing us to go on our own excursions on Adventure of the Seas. Have you ever done the Lucayan National Park on your own? I was wondering the cost to get into the park and taxi fees. Any insight would be greatly appreciated. And also, if you've done it, did you enjoy it? And what else do you recommend in Freeport, Grand Bahama, instead of taking a cruise tour? Also, do you know where we'll be docking, how far this is from the shops, etc.? Good questions, Ash. I'm gonna do the, your questions in reverse. I don't know why I always do this, but I always do it. It makes it easier. Uh, you dock right where you dock. There's a number of little shops and bars and restaurants right there. It's nothing major, but there's some. You could walk off the ship and walk right into a couple of things to do because Freeport, where you dock, is an industrial port. You're gonna see tankers and you're gonna see cargo ships and you're. It ain't pretty. Let's put it that way. But there is some things to do if you just want to kind of walk around before or after your excursion right by the ship. It's kind of similar to Falmouth in, on a very small scale. Uh, you have over there. So you have those things. But the, um, what else? I've not been to the uh, Lucayan National Park. You know, it, it's supposed to be beautiful, but it's a very large park and there's different areas. I know uh, one of my good friends, uh, Sherry from Cruise Tips TV, went to Taino Beach. And this is, I believe, through Royal Caribbean. She didn't love it. I think she said that it was not impressive and a little overpriced in her opinion. So I, I, I'm going to go on. I'm going to defer to her opinion on that. I've been to Freeport once on Adventure of the Seas. I, I've been there twice. I only did one excursion. And we uh, booked on our own a day pass to the Grand Lucayan Resort, uh, which is the resort that Royal Caribbean is rumored. Or, I don't know if it's rumored. I mean, it's, there's still in negotiations to purchase. And um, uh, based on that, uh, that was actually not bad. Um, it was a very nice resort. It's just a little... <laughs> there, there's two parts of the resort. There's the Grand Lucayan and there's the uh, Lighthouse Point. And the Grand Lucayan is dilapidated and shut down. It's like Jurassic Park at the end of the movie. Uh, the first part, not that bad. There's no T-Rexes running around. But the second, but the lighthouse point is fine. But when we went there, I, I'm not j exaggerating. There were maybe, we saw maybe like, uh, I'm going to guess 20 other human beings there. Um, it was, it was, there was not a lot of people there. The resort, obviously, if Royal were to buy it, were, they would probably gutted at the very least, if not completely redo it. I mean, it's going to be vastly upgraded um, because it needs it. Um, the The history of that resort is long and tired, and unfortunately, it's, it's undergone. It, there's been some natural disasters that have occurred there and just some poor management, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, but they have a very nice infinity pool, and they have a very nice beach. And from that standpoint, it's not a bad place to spend your day. So, you know, um, you, you're paying, though, for, you know, an all-inclusive experience. If you have the drink package on board the ship or dining package, that may not be that important to you, but I think it's still the best thing that I've seen as an option there. Uh, you'll have to take a taxi to get there. A taxi's probably going to run you about $35, if I remember correctly, each way, and it's about a 30-minute drive or so. You know, uh, pretty much everything you need a taxi to do there, because once you get beyond that port area, there's just a duck. You can't walk anywhere, so you're, you're going to need a taxi. And uh, hopefully there will be more things to do in the in the future as more and more ships visit there. But uh, if you're going there soon, and it sounds like you are, then I would recommend either booking the Grand Lucayan Resort. Getting, you have to call the resort and get a day pass there. It's not through Royal Caribbean. 
or maybe just staying on the ship and using it as a sea day. So thank you, Ashley, for your email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog podcast. If you want to send me your email, you can always do so by sending it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.